At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. You know, as we gather today, I just want to acknowledge that we are at the beginning of a ministry year. You know, at Wildwood, uh, similar to many of your families with a school year, we talk about a ministry year as beginning in August and running through the next July. And so this is really the beginning of a new year for us as a church family. And, and as we gather together this morning at the beginning of this new year, it reminds me of another day that you all are familiar with, and that day was January 1st, 2020. Now, I want you to just go back in your brains and remember that day, January 1, 2020. And when you think about that day, I realize it was like nine lifetimes ago. But when you think back to January 1, 2020, I want you to imagine just for a moment what you were thinking about on that morning when you woke up. What were your hopes and dreams? What were your plans and resolutions for this year that lay in front of you. Think back to those things and kind of bring them back to your mind. Make them fresh again in your brains and in your minds. And then let me ask the uncomfortable question. How's that going for you, right? Uh, If you're like me, 2020 has been scrambled, right? Uh, It has been a challenge from start uh, to now, and so much of what we thought the year was going to be like, it has not been like that. And so when we think about January 1, 2020, and when we think about this being the start of a new ministry year, here is the encouragement and the hope that I would bring to you today. Let's imagine that today, August 2nd, 2020, is January 1, 2020, the sequel, right? We get to start a new year together today. And let's just imagine again and bring to mind afresh what we want this year to be like. What are your hopes and dreams? What are your resolutions? Where do you want to be when this ministry year is done? Friends, rather than just thinking of what we have lost or what has changed, rather let's think about where we can go and where we're headed. Uh, This morning, I, I want to focus our attention on a passage of Scripture that will help us navigate this next season of life together. And this sermon today will kick us off into a new series that will go the next number of weeks called The Five Follows. And in this series, it's actually six weeks long. And I know some of you are thinking, six weeks long, five follows, are you really terrible at math? The answer is I am terrible at math. But today is an introduction to a Five Follows series as we will reflect and think about where we want to go this year and how will we get there. So we're going to look at that together today as we begin January 1, 2020, the sequel. Our path to get there this morning to intro this topic is going to be to look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. So if you've got a Bible, take it and turn there to Philippians chapter 3, 17 to 4, 1. I want to read these verses for us, and then after we've had a chance to read them, we'll, we'll back up and we'll make a couple of observations from these verses that will help us understand where we might head in the new year together. Again, Paul is writing to his friends at the church in Philippi. 
And he continues his letter to them by saying this. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved." Now, friends, in these few verses, we get some direction about where we want to head this year and how we might get there. And as we begin our study of these verses, I want to begin with really what I believe is the heartbeat or the question that lies behind these verses. And that question is this, where are you headed this year? Where are you headed this year? All of us are on a road to somewhere. Where are you going? Now, when I ask that question, I want everyone to answer it. But as you begin to formulate your answer to the question, where are you headed this year, I know that all of us might come up with a thousand different words to describe it. And so just to focus our conversation today, I'm going to make your choice binary. I'm going to have only two options. Those two words on where you're headed this year You're headed in one of two directions. You're either headed towards destruction or towards transformation. Towards destruction or towards transformation. Now, before we get to where we're actually headed, let me just ask the question, where do you want to go this year if these are your two choices? How many of you and everyone at home who is is worshiping with us uh, remotely, I want us all to answer this question. Where do you want to go? How many of you want to go towards destruction? Any hands? Anyone? Anyone? But how many of us want to go towards transformation? For those watching at home, the room is full of hands. And that's not surprising, right? How many of us would choose death instead of life, destruction instead of transformation? The answer is no one who is thinking rightly. Well, we all would, given this choice, we would choose, would desire, would angle towards transformation rather than destruction. Now, some of you might quibble a little with that binary choice or those words, but in my defense, they're not my words and they're not my concept. They go back to Philippians chapter 3 in the verses that we just read. Paul describes the destination that people are on in a binary form. They're either headed towards destruction or they're headed towards transformation. We see this in what he says in chapter 3, verse 19, when he talks about there are some whose end is destruction. They're on a road to destruction. They're headed towards death. And there are others, he says, who are headed towards a transformation of their lowly bodies. There are some who are headed towards death. There are others who are headed towards life. And the the question that lies behind this section is really, where are you headed? Where do you want to go? 
Paul writes as a, as a pastor, as an encouragement to a church that he helped plant, knowing and believing that they longed and desired to head towards transformation and not towards destruction. He knew that about them. I know that about you, right? I mean, you are here today in this room, in the middle of a pandemic, to worship. You're you're obviously people who are here desiring transformation and not destruction. I know that about you just from the simple choices that you're making. And Paul knew that about the church in Philippi. So here's the question. Why does he even bring it up? Why does he bring up destruction as an option? Well, the reason why he does is he wants the church in Philippi to not choose to head there. We'll talk about why in just a moment. But before we get to that point, I want us to think about just what these words actually mean. So when we think about this concept of destruction, what is the idea that lies behind it? Now, I certainly think that embedded inside of it is this idea of eternal destruction, of the consequences of paying for the penalty of our sins, spending an eternity in hell. I do think that that is part of what Paul had in mind, that there might have been those inside of the church in Philippi who were on the perimeter of that church but had never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And so there was the possibility that they might experience the the judgment that was due their sins and be separated from God forever in hell. So it's possible that destruction in terms of eternal destruction was part of what he had in mind. But I don't think that's all of what he had in mind. I think what he had in mind as he talked about destruction was also this idea that there are things that we can do, there are decisions that we can make that will lead us to death in this life. And I don't mean physical death, I just mean a dying demise of an existence. There are decisions that we can make, there are things that we can do that can lead to a a death of our experience on this planet. And Paul writes, and he says, I know you don't want to go towards destruction, but do know that if you make a set of choices, you might end up there. Now, I know about you, and Paul knew about the Philippians, that none of us would just choose destruction. We we wouldn't just say that, right? We, We want transformation. We want life and not death. So how is it that people end up making decisions that lead towards destruction? Well, I think that the answer to that comes from the fact that destruction does not always look awful at the outset. As a matter of fact, it can make sense to us. It can be enticing to us in its initial stages. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 talks about this when it says that there is a way that seems right to men, but in the end, it leads to to death. In other words, there are are things that look good to us on the front end so that we make a decision to start walking in that direction. And if we walk far enough, what we will find is death and not life. Think about it in terms of a number of different examples that we might think. In terms of pornography, an addiction that is rampant inside of our world, inside of our, our culture, Why is it that people fall into that trap? Well, they fall into that trap because they think it will give them what they want. But then talk to anyone who gets enthralled in pornography for any period of time and it leads to death and not life. It leads to broken relationships, marriage with your kids, with your friends, the way you view other people. 
It takes life from you. It doesn't give life to you. It looked good on the front end, but in the end it led to death. Think about other addictions, things like like alcohol, drinking to excess, or illicit drug use. Why do people get involved in those things? Well, because at the front end, it looks right to them. They think it will give them what they want. It will numb the pain. It will bring them some kind of a better existence. And yet, if you walk down the path of that addiction, there are so many in this room and others that could sit with you and tell you it does not lead to life, but ultimately it leads to death. Not only do we say that in in those areas, but think about even things like, like lying, Why do we lie? We lie because at the front end, it seems like something that would make our lives better. It'll make people like us better because our stories will be more interesting. But if you lie long enough, if you walk down that path, ultimately it leads to broken relationships, a lack of trust. Why do people steal? They steal because at the front end, it looks like it will lead them where they want to go. It will give them something that they desire. But if you steal... Over time, you walk down that path that will lead to brokenness and death and not life. Friends, the Apostle Paul writes, and he says that there is a path that leads to destruction. And on the front end, it doesn't look destructive, but he reminds them that it absolutely is. And he tells them, don't start walking down a path headed toward destruction. Instead, Paul says, walk on the path that leads towards transformation and life. Now, this transformation that Paul talks about is referenced there in verse 21 as he talks about the ultimate transformation of our lowly bodies into a likeness of his glorious body, the transformation of our lives in eternity. But that transformation is a process that has begun even now in the lives of those who know Christ. And this transformation is possible for each of us, and it's talked about throughout the New Testament. Just look at some of the examples that we see in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, we see Jesus calling his first disciples, and some of his first disciples that he called were fishermen. And he goes up to them in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, and he says, you all are fishermen. But he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You all have read the passage, right? I will make you fishers of men. Think about the transformation that takes place. These were men who caught living things and made them dead. And Jesus offered a transformation in their mission that they might find people who are dead in their sins and they might be able to bring them life in him. It's a transformation of their mission. Not only do we see that transformation, but in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it talks about how the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, it dwells inside of us and can bring life to our mortal bodies. God has given a power source for the transformation that he promises and he talks about in Philippians chapter 3, and that's the power source of the Holy Spirit. God is committed to this task. He has given the Spirit to empower it. Not only do we see that in Romans 8, but in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it talks about our renewing and transformation that happens in our minds as we lay down our lives before Christ. How many of you would like to have better thoughts to take every thought captive, to dwell on that which is good and noble like we talked about just a couple of weeks ago. Friends, it's, it's possible in Christ. It's a transformation that God wants to work in you and in me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 talks about when we gaze on the glory of God, 
we are transformed more into the image of his son. Friends, as we have the Bible, we we look at it and we see the glory of God revealed in the scriptures of how God is related throughout history and time to people. And as we see God revealed in scripture, we see a transformation that he longs to do inside of our hearts and lives and soul. Not only do we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, but in Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes and says, I'm confident that he who has begun this good work in you will carry it on to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, God is absolutely, positively committed to the transformation of your life. Sent the Spirit, given us his word, that we might gaze in his glory, that we might be transformed, that our minds might be renewed, that we might be given a new mission and purpose. Friends, this is what is possible. This is what is available to us. The idea of headed in the direction of transformation in life is not just a pipe dream, but it's something God has planned for and made possible for each and every one of us in this room as we think about this year. Why would we head towards destruction when instead we could head towards transformation in life? Now, this direction and the possibility of transformation is something that Paul was committed to for the Philippians. Look at what he says in chapter 3, verse 18. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and, and now tell you even with tears. In other words, the thought of somebody leading the congregation in Philippi towards destruction instead of towards transformation brought the apostle Paul to tears. He was that committed to the task. Why was he so committed? Why was he so moved in his emotion as somebody who would lead this congregation towards destruction? It was because he loved them. He called them his brothers. He said he loved them. He longed for them. He called them his joy and his crown. He called them his beloved. He desired that they stand firm. These are not passive words. These are emotive words. Paul was committed, and Paul loved the Philippians. But here, friends, is is something that I think we need to see. Where did that heart for the Philippians come from? It came from Jesus himself. Jesus is committed to our transformation. The thought of us wandering to destruction brings him to tears. He calls us his beloved, his joy, and his crown. That's the word of God for you. All who minister in Jesus' name have these kinds of thoughts, not because they're just noble people, not because Paul was such a good guy, but because his Savior, his Lord, loved the Philippians that much. And this morning, when I think about the year that lies in front of us, church, I long for the same things for us. I long for us to walk towards transformation and life and not towards destruction and death because I know that that is what our Savior has made possible for each of us. So where are we headed? Are we headed towards destruction or are we headed towards transformation? When we think of asking that question, the next place we need to go is with the balance of this passage, and that's this point. Who you follow determines where you go. Who you follow determines where you go. Now, when I read that statement, that's common sense, right? 
You know, if I, I think about if Doug and I were going to go to lunch today and we're going to take separate cars, um, and I don't know where we're going to go, but I, Doug just says, hey, follow me. I'm going to take you to a great place. I'm going to stick right behind him, and by following him, I'm going to end up at the restaurant that he has chosen to lead me to. It's common sense. We understand that. But this same principle also applies in our spiritual lives. It also applies in, in, in these big categories of the general direction and trajectory of our lives. The Apostle Paul is writing in this section, and he says, if you want to go where you want to go, then follow those who are headed there. Because who you followed will determine where you go. Of this idea, Tony Evans says this, he says, we will never ascend to an excellent life if we're constantly hanging out with get-by people who are thinking in mediocre ways. We can't be excellent if we follow the world's ways. Excellent people, spiritually minded people who want to excel in their walk with God, hang around excellent people. They spend time with others sharing that same goal. Now, friends, when I, when I read that and I, I talk about this concept to a group of Americans, a group of Oklahoma Americans, a group of Oklahoma American adults, there's part of this that kind of makes you bristle a little bit, right? You think, I, I don't need somebody else to help me get there. I'm a self-made person. I can get there on my own. Just me in my quiet time, just me in my Bible, just me in my living room, just me on my back porch. That's all I need to get where I need to go. But friends, we know that's not true, and, and if you're a parent, you know that's not true because think of what you want for your kids, right? How important is this concept of where you go depends on who you follow? That's why you want your kids to hang around others who are headed in the direction where you want them to head. Well, we're familiar with that concept with our children, but guess what? That principle still holds true for us, still holds true for every one of us in this room. That's why it's so important and essential for us to gather as a church, to spur one another on to love and good deeds. I've, I've missed you. This is a wonderful sight to see you here this morning because together we're encouraging one another to walk in the same direction together. But Paul understood this principle as well. And so what does he say? Well, he tells them, knowing that who they follow determines where they go, he says, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says, one of the, the people that you can follow is going to be me and those like me. Now, when we hear that, we might think, well, that seems pretty arrogant. I mean, who does he think he is? An apostle? You know, like what, what's, the, what's the idea behind this? Well, he was an apostle. He was someone. But, but what made Paul's testimony and his words here so important was not the statement, but it was who Paul was following. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul well understood that at the front of his parade was not himself, it was Jesus. And so he invited others. He said, hey, let's follow Jesus together. Follow me and follow any who are headed in that direction following Christ. That, that is one possibility. And if we gather together and follow Christ, it will lead to transformation in life. But he goes on and says the alternative is also true, that there is another possibility, and that is the possibility of following those who he calls enemies of the cross of Christ. 
enemies of the cross. Well, who were these enemies of the cross? We, we don't fully know. He doesn't identify them with very many descriptors in terms of a, a group of people. He's going to talk about them. We'll see that in a moment. But we don't know exactly what their names were or anything like that. But he calls them enemies of the cross. I don't think he was talking about those who were outside of the church, friends. I think he was talking about those who were inside of the church, those who had access to the microphones at the front of churches and Sunday school classes and small groups. He said there are those who are going to write books that will be on the shelves of Mardell that will be pointing you in a direction that is not going to lead you towards transformation in life, but in fact will actually lead you in the direction of destruction. And so if these enemies of the cross are not just those outside of the church, but could be even those who wear the name Christian inside of the church, how is it that we can determine who we should follow and who we should not follow? Well, thankfully, Paul gives some direction about that. God empowered him to write it down so that you and I could see it today. So who are we to follow and who are we to not follow? Well, we see that in these verses. Who are we not to follow? We'll see that list first in verse 19. The first thing he says about those we're not to follow is he says, don't follow those whose God is their belly. Now, that is a graphic way to describe it, right? I mean, is this some kind of indictment of those who eat too much? I mean, what, what is he getting at? Those whose God is their belly. I think the idea that Paul had behind this was not just food, but any appetite. Those who say, do whatever feels good to you. Those who follow only what they consider right in their own eyes. He said, if, if somebody is merely following their own appetites, then they have made their appetite their God. He says, don't follow them. Don't follow them. The second set of people that he says do not follow is he says, don't follow those who glory in their shame. Those who glory in their shame. What, what is that idea? Well, those who glory in their shame are, are those who have sinned. Well, all of us have sinned, but instead of repenting of their sin, he says there, there are a group of people who will take their sin and they will make it something to celebrate. They will take their adultery and make it a, a pattern for others to follow. They'll take their folly in other areas and they will lift it up. And even though the Bible says it's sin, they'll say, this is something that should be accepted and celebrated. Paul says, don't follow those who glory in their shame. Don't follow those who celebrate sinful conduct. Not only that, but he says, don't follow those who focus only on earthly things, who don't have a category for eternal reward, who don't have a category for a God who sits outside of time and place, who are only dealing with the finite, with the here and now. He says, those people are not ones for us to follow. Now, when I go through this category of things all referenced in verse 19, you might be thinking of a teacher or an author or, or someone that you have, have heard about, and, and that is true. There are those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. There are those who are putting themselves over the Word of God and inviting people to walk in the wrong direction and are even inviting people in a direction that looks right to them but ultimately ends in death. But here's the thing. I don't, I don't want us to, to get off so easy as to think that this is just an other's problem, it's an other people problem, because all of these things, 
friends also could be describers of ourselves. Anybody in this room ever had the most dominant influence in their life being their own appetite? Anybody in this room ever try to justify your sin as something that is actually okay? Anybody in this room ever get fixated only on this life and the things that are right in front of our faces, forgetting that there's a God who sits outside of time and space? Friends, the reality is that some of the largest influencers of the wrong direction is us, right? Paul writes and he says, I don't want you to follow those who will lead you unto destruction, including yourselves. But instead, he says, I want to call you to a different path, to follow a different leader that leads to a different destination. So who is it that we are to follow? Well, he says in verses 20 and 21, we're to follow those whose citizenship is in heaven. Follow those who recognize that our identity is not earthbound, but it actually is in heaven, that our, our ultimate king and, and his kingdom reside in heaven today and one day will return to earth. If we understand that our primary identity is found in Christ and not in this life, then we understand that we have a different code of conduct than just whatever seems right in our own eyes. The direction that he calls us to follow is those who recognize that our identity and our calling and our purpose are are much higher than this life and much higher than us. Not only that, but he says, follow those whose Savior is the Lord Jesus. Again, Paul doesn't say, follow me because I'm perfect, because Paul wasn't perfect. Matter of fact, Paul sinned just like all of us do, and he acknowledges as much in the balance of chapter 3. You can go back and read it where he says, not that I'm already there yet. In other words, this attitude, this perspective, this lifestyle is not something I'm able to permanently live out. He doesn't say, follow me into my sin, but he says, follow me in the example that when I sin, I fall to my knees and I confess it to my God who is able to forgive me in Christ. We're to follow those who find in Jesus their Lord and Savior and make much of him and not much of themselves. We're to follow those who, who long for Jesus' return. I love how verse 20 ends. He says, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We await him. You know, friends, we live in a world that has got some darkness in it, doesn't it? There's some brokenness and some messed up stuff. And I feel like I'm more familiar with it right now than I've ever been in my life. You could disagree and think, no, I can remember, you know, how terrible it was in the fall of 84. Great. I'm telling you right now, it feels like about as tough as I've seen. And I'm aware of more brokenness around me. What is our attitude towards that? Is our attitude towards the brokenness around us, does does it cause us to long for the return of Jesus? To say, oh, Jesus, come back, because when you do, righteousness and justice will reign and will come with you. The ultimate solution to the problems around us are found in Christ, right? That's that's the hope that we have. And, And Paul says, follow those that know that. Follow those that remember that. Follow those that rest in that and have a hope in that. Not only does he mention that, he, he talks about following those whose hope is in the transformation of their lowly body. 
In other words, don't put a lot of stock in those that say that they can just get incrementally better on their own. But listen to those who understand that they need a transformation to happen through the work of the Spirit in their lives. Friends, inside of these verses, Paul says, there are those who want to lead you unto destruction, including yourselves. Don't go there. But instead, follow those who are going to lead you towards transformation and towards life. I mean, think about these things. Don't you long to have an identity that is tied to something far greater than this life? Don't don't you long to have forgiveness of your sins and to rest in that peace Don't you long for the return of Christ and and things to be set right in the world around us and the brokenness to be fixed and healed? Don't, Don't you long for transformation to happen in your life and in the lives of those you love? Friends, because that's what we long for, follow those who are headed in that direction. And ultimately, following those means that we're following Jesus. He is at the front of the parade that leads to transformation and to life. Now, we've asked the question, you know, where are you headed? And reminded of the reality that who you follow determines where you go. We've talked about the hope of following Christ. So how do we do that? Well, you're going to have to come back. That's why this is a six-part series, and we've got five more opportunities where we're going to talk about how it is that we follow Christ this year to get to the direction where we want to go. The next few weeks, we're going to talk about following Jesus into his word, and we're going to talk about following Jesus into worship, and we're going to talk about following him into community and following him into ministry and on mission. We're going to talk about these items and issues and, and how we can can follow Jesus into these things to get towards this transformation in life that we desire. But even before we get to these matters, friends, we need to remember that this growth and this transformation all begins with responding to the work of Jesus on the cross for you and me. Paul writes and says that it is Jesus, his Savior, that is the hope of his transformation. And that's the hope that you have and that I have as well. And if you have never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, know that you can do so this morning. And and as you trust him for the forgiveness of your sins, that he will move in and have this commitment to transform your life in the days ahead. That's where it begins. But even as we talk about this path in the days ahead, you might see these items up on, on the screen and you might think, Well, those are really basic. I mean, maybe I'll skip and come back in the second week of September when you get to some more challenging items, Pastor. Uh, That seems like a lot of review. And if that's the case, I'm going to acknowledge this is a lot of review, but it's important review. In order to illustrate that a little bit, I want to take you back to July of 1961. The Green Bay Packers had just lost a heartbreaking game for the championship of the NFL. They were beaten by the Philadelphia Eagles. And they began the summer camp in 1961 with the hope of winning a championship. Their coach, Vince Lombardi, stood in front of them to give them a speech, to motivate them for activity. 
And when he stood up to give that speech, you might think he was going to give some kind of, you know, nuance that they had missed, some extra play, some new wrinkle, a new scheme that would push them over the top and allow them to win where they had previously lost. I mean, this was a team that was not far off. They had played in the championship game just months before. Instead, Lombardi stood in front of them and said this, these famous words. He held up a ball and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And he began to talk about the basics of the game. As he went on for several minutes about that, eventually his all-pro wide receiver, Max McGee, raised his hand and said, coach, 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 I, I got to know, uh, could you slow down? You're, you're going a little too fast for me. But the reality is they began with the basics and they ended up becoming a championship team as a result, which is why that story is relevant and significant, right? There was a direction they wanted to go and it began with the basics. Friends, there's a direction we want to go. It begins with the basics, remembering who we're following and then talking about how we follow him to get there. We're going to be looking at that over the next several weeks ahead. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be together today and to open your word and to look at it. We pray that you would guide us as just your people um, and help us to follow you this year. We, we long for transformation, and I pray that you would just point us in the direction of life and give us the courage to make the decisions necessary to walk in that direction. We thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.